You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We continue with our series in the book of Mark. Still in chapter 6, last time I shared with you, John the Baptist lost his head. And his disciples came and took his body and uh, cared for it. And it's like, that's the end. Now it's time for John's disciples to realize John was the forerunner pointing toward the Messiah, whom is Christ, the Lord Jesus, and for their following to now move to, to the Lord himself. <clears throat> when, I, when I think of the church, today we, we see the disciples, and before we hit the passage of Salome dancing and Herod promising and John losing his head, we see that Jesus sent out his disciples and they went out and they preached and they taught and they, they cast out demons and, and they, they brought healing. But it's good for us to kind of review how all that takes place. One of the things that the Lord does to us is that he draws us to himself so that we can be with him. The very first thing is as a, as a believer, when we come and receive the Lord Jesus as our savior and ask him to forgive us of our sins, the first thing he wants to do is not use us. Unlike some theological groups in the body of Christ, you get saved, go out. No, you get saved, spend some time with Jesus. Get to know the one that just ransomed your soul, saved your life. Get to know the one who you're going to be married to for all eternity. Get to know the bridegroom. Spend some time. You're going to be his bride. So start dating. Start spending some time together. And we find that that's the first thing. And theologically, we call that experiencing God. And for most of us, when we come to the Lord Jesus, it's not because a salesman presented the gospel and was such a good closer that he was able to close the deal. And we said, yeah, I think I'll, I'll sign up for that. No, it's usually because we come into the presence of the Lord and there's something that he initiates as spirit gives birth to spirit. And we realize something different's going on here today. And as we come into that reality of being redeemed, Wow, we just experienced the Lord, and we experienced the Lord. And guess what? Our appetites change. All, the, all of a sudden, we start to have a desire to be with the Lord, to be in his presence. I don't know how that manifested for you. It kind of depends on what age you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But for me, I was in elementary school. What did I want to do? I wanted to go to church because I associated the church, the place where I knelt and invited Jesus into my life as being in the presence of the Lord. And that's all I knew as a kid. And so let's go to church, let's go to church. They have church on Wednesday, let's go to church on Wednesday. Why? Because there's something about once we've been birthed into the kingdom that we want to be in the presence of the one who loves us and gave his life for us. And so we just want to experience more and more of Jesus. <clears throat> well, when Jesus met the disciples and encountered them and called them to follow him, they just followed him and watched what he was doing. 
He went on being himself. He wasn't saying, okay, I gotta change my act a little bit now because I got these guys that are following me, so I better watch my language. I better watch what I'm doing and make sure. No, Jesus just kept on being Jesus. And they followed him and they saw how he spoke, how he engaged people, how he touched their lives. And they just were eyewitnesses to everything that, that was happening. And then they would eat with him. They would be with him. They'd watch how he engaged, how he did life. And they just immersed themselves in what we call experiencing God. And that's where we start our walk and growth in the kingdom. We just experience the Lord. And as we tarry there, there comes a point when we start to make a transition over to what I call stage two. And oftentimes we call that discipleship. And that's where we start getting serious about understanding who Jesus is. Oh, th there's a Bible? And we start reading the Bible and we start having Bible studies and we start searching out the scriptures and, and everything, and that's just wonderful. Over here, we're doing kumbaya around the campfire, just enjoying his presence. Over here, we're getting serious and we're saying, boy, I wonder what that says in the original language, or I wonder what the NIV says about it. I wonder what that looks like in the New American Standard. We start doing some comparative studies, and we start really studying as part of our training in developing and understanding what in the world is all this about? And we start to understand that there's been a plan that goes all the way back to creation, and it climaxes with the new Jerusalem, and, and the new heaven and the new earth, and, and we're somewhere in between, and as we're looking at this, we're starting to get some things that we can hang on. We understand who King David is, and we start to discover the Psalms and realize that there, every emotion known to a human being you can find in one of the Psalms. And as you read through the Psalms, they start to minister to your heart. And as I was studying, I came across this little devotional and it would be five Psalms and one proverb every day. And in 31 days, you went through the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms. You say, hold on, there's 31 Proverbs, okay, 31 chapters of Proverbs, but there's only 150 Psalms. So how do you get 31? Psalm 119 gets a day all to itself. All 176 verses of Psalm 119 gets a day unto itself. So there you go. And, and as I studied that, I was doing it in the living translation, and I couldn't tell you a thing of what I read when I was done. I read my five Psalms, one proverb every day, couldn't tell you a thing of what I read but something happened to my heart. Because the Psalms speak to the heart more than it does to the mind. Now it speaks to both, but at that point as a freshman in college, I was just preoccupied with getting off to lunch. And, and so as, as you, you get that, it's just like, man, there was something that was happening month after month that was taking place in my heart. Pretty interesting. So here in, in phase two, this is nurturing. Over here, we experience God. Over here, we're being nurtured by God. We're being nurtured by the word. We're learning how to feed ourselves. 
We go off of Gerber baby food and we start getting onto some dry cereal with a little milk. And we start, and we, we're getting ready for some meat. You know, and it's like, man, this is really good. And we just continue to situate, you know, and grow here. Now, the problem is most of the churches I've ever pastored, we experience God and we get nurtured by God and we get nurtured by God and we get nurtured by God. And it's like we get really fat in the nurture cycle because we never move on to the next, which is serving, which is serving the Lord. We go from, from being nurtured, from understanding, having a reason to give an account of the hope that we have within, now we're ready to go on and to move to the place where we start becoming little evangelists. We start sharing the good news that we've received. And as we do, we start sharing with people and it doesn't have to be a program. It just has to be, hey, listen, this is what I've, I've experienced. And you come across your day-to-day your -day living in the marketplace, and someone comes across your path, your paths intersect, you're able to release something of life that the Lord has given to you because you've been experiencing him and you've nurtured in him, and now you have something to share, and you share it with him. And all of a sudden, guess what? It starts all over again. We call it the feedback loop. As you're over here in stage three, sharing what you've learned in one and two, as you share that, it has an impact. And there's hungry hearts just like your hungry heart over when you were in one that is now receiving the good news of the gospel that you've shared and as they say, yes, I would love to know Jesus. I wanna invite him into my life. I'd love for him to be my Lord and Savior. And as that happens, then they come over here and they begin experiencing God. And guess what? When they experience in God, all of us that have moved out of two, got up in a healthy way. I'm not gonna to try to be derogatory, but it's like we got our fat rear ends up and we came over here and we start we start sharing, all of a sudden, boom, when they receive the good news and they come into the kingdom, guess what? We come all the way back with them. The joy of their experiencing God all of a sudden becomes our joy again. It, it, it's now, we, we're over here and we're sharing the good news, but as we're sharing the good news and people are coming into a relationship with the Lord, we're sharing with the joy of their relationship. And we're right back there. We never really leave experiencing God. We're always here. We never really leave being nurtured by God. We're always gonna be nurtured by God. Doesn't matter how many PhDs you have or whatever, you're always going to be nurtured by the Lord. And then to move into sharing, this is just sheer joy. This is the pure, honest, it's the whipped cream on the top it's, it's just the, the lifeblood of the church. And when we don't have this part of the church, we get stagnant. It's us four and no more. It, it, we get ingrown. We, we start losing our edge for going out and sharing what we found. Because if, if, if we're, we never get to here, the enemy has a way of just putting that 
stupor over those that just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and never exercise. They never get out and share. They just take it in and all of a sudden, I don't know about you, but when I get so many carbs in me, I go into the food coma. And in much ways, that's kind of where the church has been. We've kind of been in a food coma. We're really good at Bible studies. We're really good at nurture. We need to move over and really start looking for creative ways, not programs. I'm not, I'm not talking about program evangelism. I'm talking about creative ways to release the good things that the Lord's done for you with others. And that's the power of testimony. This is what the Lord did for me. And you find out someone else says, boy, I've got the same thing. I wonder if he'd do it for me too. Yeah, that's what testimony is. Do it again, Lord, do it again. And so as we look at our passage today, that's my intro. Now we're ready to get on with the sermon. <laughs> Mark chapter six, we're gonna only look at five verses today, beginning of verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Reminding you that John just lost his head and nobody's known exactly how to interpret the times at that point. So the disciples come and, and they just gather around Jesus. They've been sent out on a mission trip before, earlier in chapter six, and we'll review that in just a second. And they reported to him all that they'd done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You might wanna underline that in your Bible. Jesus is concerned. After you've been serving over here in three, he wants you to get some rest. I had a friend in seminary, well, actually he was in college. All of us that were pursuing uh, the ministry at Asbury College, we were Bible majors and whatever kind of majors getting ready to go across the street to Asbury Theological Seminary. And as we were preparing for that, we had opportunities to do week weekend mission trips and go out to another, usually a United Methodist Church and we would go out and, and we would preach and sing and do whatever our gift mix was and minister to a congregation and then come back on the weekend. And one of the guys that went out every, 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 every weekend was not allowed into seminary because in his psychological evaluation, he had what they call a, was a Messiah complex. He went out not because of the joy of what the Lord had done in him. He went out out of fear that if he didn't, there would be people that would be lost and go to hell. So his whole motivation was so that people wouldn't go to hell. And as a result, it drove him and drove him and drove him in a very unhealthy way to where his, his family, his, his marriage, all those things would take a back seat to this mission that he had and it came out on a psych evaluation. I, I believe he was later admitted, but he, he, got, he got some counseling to understand. Jesus is the, is the only Messiah. We're not the Messiah. 
And we, even the original 12, had to have time to come apart and get rest and not feel guilty about it. I don't know about you, but there's, for some of us that grew up in a holiness tradition, it was almost like everything we did was guilt-based and the church was really good at making you feel guilty if you weren't given enough, doing enough, uh, attending enough. And so we had our, our, our motivational tool was guilt-based and it was like, you never find that in Jesus. He gets his boys and he says, guys, it's time to come apart. Let's go. It's been so busy here. We haven't even had a chance to eat. So they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on a foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Wow. Lord, we just pause to say, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So here's the apostles. They've been sent by Jesus. They come and they, after they've been out on their mission trip, they come back and they just gather around Jesus. You know, anytime you go on a mission trip, one of the most exciting times is to come back and just share and kind of debrief what the Lord has done and you give the Lord honor and, and you encourage those that are, that are gathered, an understanding of what the Lord's doing in another area. And so they came, they gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And so what had they done and taught? Well, we find out earlier in the passage up at Mark chapter six, verse 12 and 13, it says, Jesus sent them out and they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So they went out and preached and brought people a change of direction in their life where they were going away from God, they encountered God and turned and started walking with God toward God. They cast out demons, which we're gonna see more and more of there's so much that has come uh, into our culture that uh, the demonic realm is not as blatant in America as it is like we think in other countries where they're just blatant. But here they're so subtle and they hide behind stuff. And sometimes they're so mixed in with our wounds and our hurts that we don't even realize, we just think it's the way where you are we don't even realize that there's a spirit dynamic to it. And we need to realize that. And I think we will more and more as the days come. So here's the report. They preach that people should repent. Amen. Repent is change of direction. If you're going that way and you're going to repent, you start going this way. And so they, they do an about face and start walking toward Jesus. They drove out many demons. Okay, there's not just a few back in those days. And I dare say there's not just a few in our day. There's many demons. And they anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Okay. I think this is the only gospel that has they anointed with oil and healed them. But we find that Jesus' brother James, later as the leader of the church, writes his letter, 
And he says in James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Wow. And so we see the relationship of, of oil and healing, anointing people for healing with oil. And that's what we have in Exhibit A. We anoint people for healing. Sometimes we just lay hands on people for healing. Sometimes we pray from afar for healing. All sorts of different ways to do it. But here we see that the apostles understood the significance. Oil has always been a symbol of, of the Spirit of God, the presence of God. Oftentimes we, we, I associate oil with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And <clears throat> when we anoint people with oil, in my heart, as I am praying for them and anointing, I'm releasing the Holy Spirit to come upon them in any way he desires to come upon them and do for them everything that's in the heart of the Father, Son, and the Spirit to do for the beloved. Hmm. So there they go. Now the multitude. At this point in Jesus' life, he's well known. As a matter of fact, the religious community is very upset with him. The religious leaders are trying to find a way to kill him, but he's still going on. The mass multitude of people, many people are just following him. And there's so many people <clears throat> that, were, that were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. I don't know about you, I'm feeling cranky for the disciples. You know, I have sympathy pains. I'm getting cranky, man. You are interfering with lunch and supper. There's no opportunity to eat. Uh, yesterday, we were shopping at Costco and I had to buy a great big box of Nature Valley granola bars because I was out and, and they go in my golf bag because while you're playing, and this last week's was like almost five hours because we had some very slow people playing in front of us. It's like, I'm getting hungry. And it's like, yeah, you gotta have some, but they didn't have any granola bars. You know, they, they didn't have even a chance to eat. So many people. So Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Now my wife likes quiet places. She likes quiet places. We, we go someplace. I like, I'm more in the loud category. When we're playing music, she's always letting me know that my music is too loud and that it's better if, we, if I turn it down. So I turn it down. When I get it to the right decibel level for her, I might as well go ahead and turn it off. But there's certain songs that you can listen to very softly but there's other songs that you've got to crank it up. Well, here Jesus, seeing the fatigue from the ministry, knows that his disciples need a quiet place. 
So he's going to take them to a secluded, quiet place where they can just be together and they can get some rest. So they went away. They go by themselves. They're in a boat. They're heading to a solitary place. That's the plan. But the people, the many people, many who saw them leaving, <laughs> recognized them. Oh, that's Jesus and the, and the disciples. They're getting in that boat. I wonder where they're going. I don't know, let's follow. And, and they head around the, the side of the lake. They ran on foot from all the towns and got to the landing place before Jesus did. Now what was going on in the disciples' heart? They're coming ashore, they're going on retreat, they're going to a, a, a place of quiet solitude to just rest and be with Jesus. And there's this multitude already gathered as you're pulling your, your boat up. Exasperated, tired, worn out, really having great love and affection for all the multitudes, all the people? Not. Lord, send those people away. <laughs> That's what they later advised Jesus to do. But notice the contrast, I think, between what I perceive to be the disciples' perception of the multitude, the, the many people, and the heart of Jesus. Jesus is coming, he's wanting to have a time for his disciples. And as he comes and he sees, wow. So when Jesus lands, he sees the large crowd, but instead of being exasperated, he has compassion on them. Why does he have compassion on them? Because he sees them as sheep not having a shepherd. What in the world is sheep without a shepherd? Well, when you don't have a shepherd, you don't have someone who is overseeing the flock. You don't have someone who's protecting the flock. You don't have someone who is feeding the flock. Taking them by still waters, putting them in green pastures. You don't have that kind of stuff. They don't have somebody that's leading them to the right place at the right time. Oh, and Jesus sees, and he's moved with compassion because he sees how harassed they are. They're just scattered. They're, they're, they're not understanding. And so what's he do? He teaches them many things. Now what happens to you when, you, when you're reading the scripture and, and you get, you just get a, a sentence like this. Mark is so abbreviated. He doesn't expound. Jesus taught them many things. What did he teach them? I want to know. Mark, go back in. Grab Peter. Find out the details. Tell us what he taught. What all, at that moment, when he saw them as sheep not having a shepherd, what did he teach them? I will be asking that question when I get to heaven, if it's still pertinent. <laughs> Many things that Jesus taught them, no doubt, are recorded in the, in the gospel accounts. But wouldn't you have liked to have been there and heard it firsthand? Mm-hmm. 
First, we find with Christ, we're invited to be with him over here in phase one. Just experience Jesus, just experience him. Then as we're being around him, it moves us into awareness. We're aware of more things and the light and the truth of who he is comes into, comes into focus and we begin to come into a deeper relationship because now this is what he did for me. He, he forgave me, he, he loved me, he comforted me, he gave me peace, but now I'm aware of who he is. And now it goes to another, another depth. I really want to, to know him, not just for what he does for me, but I wanna know him for who he is. I wanna know more about who he is because this guy is amazing. He's wonderful, he's incredible. And when we get to, to study and, and to understand him, he says, I'm just showing you who the Father is. And when you've seen me, you've seen the Father in heaven. So now we know what God looks like. God the Father looks just like the Son. And as we have a more awareness, it's not that I need more, it's now I get to know him more. And as we know him and we get his heart and we start seeing the many people from his eyes, we don't come over here and see them as someone who's infringing upon my retreat. We come to start to see them as someone that breaks our heart. And because of the love of the fathers in us, we want to release that love to the people. That moves us over here because we see him as he is, we can't help ourselves but to express his love to others. So this is what I love about this passage of scripture. It, 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 and we're gonna end here with Jesus just teaching them many things. And what I'm doing, I'm setting this up for next week. Well, actually it's the week after next. Bob Combs is preaching for us next week. But the following week, the feeding of the 5,000. Because here we see Jesus, he has authority over the spirit realm. So he, he's able to cast out unclean spirits. He's able to deal with the demonic realm. He's able to heal the physical realm. And so he's healing bodies. He, he's ministering to relationships. He's touching lives and now enemies are starting to realize that you're not my enemy. And they're starting to understand restoration of relationships. But next week, the disciples get to participate, not as a captive audience like they were in the boat when the storm came and Jesus spoke to nature. He spoke to the wind, rebuked the seas and everything calmed, miraculous over the natural creation order. But now they get to participate in the natural realm where food is multiplied. And that's where we'll leave it for the next time we share from Mark chapter six. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are a father who knows how to raise sons and daughters Wherever we are in our journey and our walk with you, we've come to that place 
of experiencing you and receiving from you your love, your forgiveness, your goodness, your peace, to awareness, at least at some level, of your majesty, your greatness, your personhood. We are undone as we come into your presence and we understand just how majestic and wonderful you truly are. But that you continue to invite us to look and dig and experience more and more of fullness of your presence, fullness of your personhood. And you release your Holy Spirit into us and you want us to know the joy that you know. And so you share your spirit with us so that then we can be like you and share Father's love to others, to the multitude, to the many people. We can share the love, the light, the grace, the anointings, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of your presence and make a difference in the earth. And so as we look at this today, Father, I pray that there would be a sovereign release from heaven to earth of everything that your kids need today everything we as your sons and daughters need to receive from you. Move us from where we've been to another place of closeness with you. Open our minds, open our hearts, open our spirit, open our bodies to receive everything that you have. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a need today, as the worship team comes to lead us in our last song, if there's a physical need, oh, communion. Thank you for all the communion waivers. Uh, this works with communion too. <laughs> Just invite the presence of the Lord to come to that place. Let's be aware of where we need to invite the Lord in our lives today. One of my prayers this morning with leadership was, Lord, give us fresh bread today. We want fresh manna. We don't want yesterday's manna. We don't want day old. We want fresh manna for today. In one of the gospel accounts, the crumbs that fall out onto the floor off of the table, Jesus says, the children's bread and the children's bread is healing and deliverance. These are things that belong to us, healing and deliverance. The Syrophoenician woman, mother, her daughter was harassed by an evil spirit. And she said, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. So whatever is harassing you, the body of Jesus was given for you to have victory over. Whatever ailment the body of Christ was given for you to have healing. So Lord, we ask for fresh healing bread today and the anointing of oil for healing. We pray, Lord, that it would happen among us today for your name's sake. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. 
To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.